time for another edition of Tennis.com's weekly podcast. And here's your host, James Martin. All right, so welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I am James Martin here with Pete Bodo and Steve Tigner. We're a new configuration, so now I can look at you guys, which is a little weird um, in this great studio we have. And we were actually talking about paint with Steve. Paint. You had a big weekend, Steve. Yeah, the Verdasco Soderly match was a perfect, perfect match to watch paint dry to. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad, that but it worked. Off, Steve. <laughs> it worked well. Well, that was my reaction. We were going to talk about Fed Cup, but let's get into that first. I, 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 I thought it was a boring final for me. I didn't. I, did, I mean, it was okay. I don't know what they were doing with sweeping the court. Did you notice that? The yeah, court they had swept these it the opposite way as 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 is normally done. I don't know if that's the way they do it in Barcelona or. I tell you, it was like hypnotist, uh, hip, being hypnotized by these kooky, like it's swirling strange, things in the court. surreal city. <laughs> I thought it was a good match because it went at least went three sets. Soderling. Uh, made a comeback and Verdasco at least kept it together at the end and he played some he played some good points at the end he won the biggest biggest event of his career and he he was very excited to the point where he, he fell down like he just won Wimbledon and even Soderling laughed at him a little bit as he was <laughs> as he was walking to the yeah. net like what are you doing yeah, <laughs> get up, get up, his fifth career title Pete it was his biggest of, of the lot his second of the year I mean he's definitely the informed player uh, maybe outside Nadal, I guess, but he's he's playing pretty good for for Nino Verdasco. I think right it's, I, I think it was a great match for Verdasco because there are questions about the guy. You know, there are questions about him when it comes to a big you know big event, big occasion. You know, is he really going to just go to pieces after? Especially you know, he wins a set. You know, what's going to happen? But I think um, I think he really kind of stepped up here and showed that he's got the competitive. You know, the composure is what's sort of been lacking. I think in his game in a big picture, a general evenness. You know, being able to go with the ups and downs of a match. And I think in th- he acquitted himself pretty well here. He sets himself up, you know, nicely for the rest of the clay court season. Guy's got to be feeling great. He's walking around with his chest puffed out. Doesn't take much with him, I don't think. No, but, I don't think so. You know, so that uh, hair. I think I think he's in good shape. I mean, big win for him. I mean, I was looking at I looked up his uh, Grand Slam record because I was just curious watching that yesterday. And and if you look at his record, and this is where I think he does need to prove himself. Barcelona, <clears throat> obviously a very good win for him. But outside of making the semis of Australia last year and the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open last year, he's never gotten. He's, it's always fourth round, third round, second round, first round for his entire career at Grand Slams. Well, he so he's never, really got to prove something there. He'd never been past the quarterfinals of a Masters event until yeah. until Monte Carlo, which I didn't realize, which is surprising. It just it shows that he's he's made a lot of progress in the last year, and he had opportunities in this match in Barcelona to blow it at the end, and he might have in the past, but he was he was very steady. Soderling totally made him play, and, and he did. And I mean, you got to look at the level of competition. I mean, it isn't like these other guys. It's not like the Djokovic's and Murray's of this world are like you know out there you know uh, crushing people. So it's not you know the guy's got a, the guy's got an opening, and he's taking advantage of it. I thought the announcers, I forget the guy's name, but he did. I thought he, he was right when he said it was a cagey match because there were a lot of points I thought in there that they were both pretty circumspect in the way they were going about hitting the ball. They weren't trying to hit winners right away. Fernando didn't seem to be hitting his usual. Uh, you know, low percentage shots all the time. Yeah, they he seemed seem to play smarter. Both of them played in a way smarter, a little bit maybe more. Le- I wouldn't say defensively, but certainly more uh, reined in their games a little yeah, bit. Yeah, their styles sort of seemed to neutralize each other too. So totally, neither of them, neither of them gave the other guy a lot of opportunities for. To take over a point. I, you know, this is a pretty important tournament for Soderling, too, I think. Let's not forget, this is a guy who's, who's not afraid of anybody. And, right. you know, he, nobody's going to accuse him of going out there and being too shy to beat a guy. When you look at what he did to Nadal at the French Open last year and then how he basically was able to build on that win and subsequent, you know, really throughout throughout the year, everyone kept saying, well, when's Soderling going to cool off? And this, is this guy really for real? Well, it looks like he is for real. I mean, there's no shame in losing a Verdasco. He hits, he hits, a, he hits um, an incredibly heavy ball. And yeah. the, the, the best shot I think he has, I mean, is... The, is his first shot off a guy's return uh, off the return. So when Sutterling serves and that return comes back, I think he's probably the most aggressive on that first shot. 
and then any I I think that anybody maybe maybe Federer might be a little bit more aggressive at times, but he just wails that ball. He didn't do it consistently enough yesterday, I didn't think. But that's to me that that's one of his key shots. When that's you big get man that return tennis. back, he just crushes that also return. His down the line, both down the line shots are a big a big thing for him because it's a risk. But when he's hitting it, he has that he he has that shot that a lot of other people don't. Yeah, he played that one loose game in the third. There, he gave away the break. I thought a little easily, but you know it was a good match, and I think. Um, the other big news for the weekend was, uh, well, it wasn't exactly the Olympics circa 1980, but the U.S. defeats uh, Russia, and it was a come-behind win, Pete. I mean, we, we just looking at how, for anyone that didn't watch it, basically Udan won her opening round match, and then Russia came back. Dementieva scored a win, um, then Dementieva beat Udan, and basically the U.S. was down 2-1, and then Bethany Matek, Bethany San, was it Sands Matek, um, once wins her singles match, and then wins her doubles to clinch it for the U.S. first American player to win two live Fed Cup matches uh, to clinch a title. I mean, it's pretty big, pretty big comeback, even though Russia only had three players. Hey, look, great, great day for Bethany Metak Sands. I mean, I mean, she basically, against Makarova, what I liked about her performance there in Birmingham, it's not like she's playing Dementieva where she can swing from the heels and look, the girl's number six in the world. She's an Olympic gold medalist. You know, I, I'm, I'm playing with house money. I can do whatever I want. And this was a tough match. I mean, the girls, Makarova's ranked in the 60s. Her, you know, her ranking is twice, you know, or half of what Sands is. Sands, I think, is number 129. So, you know, the match was within reach, but clearly Makarova's a better player on the record. So it was a really, really good performance. And then come back, and they crushed the Russians in the doubles. That was a very, very good performance. Yeah, I mean, the doubles wasn't surprising, I guess, in that sense, because they had the leg up, because Dementieva seemed to be not really wanting to play that doubles, didn't have a lot of confidence. Yeah, the Russians in general didn't seem to want to play Kuznetsova. Didn't make it over. She said she wasn't going to fly to Birmingham and then fly back to Stuttgart. But the U.S. also didn't have the Williams sisters. But in a way, that's that's better. That gives these... You know, it makes may make Fed Cup seem a little minor league, but it does give somebody like Udan a chance to to play really meaningful matches, pressure filled matches, and and to come through in them. You know, yeah. I'm kind of disgusted with tennis. I think I don't think I don't think these events. You're disgusted get, with tennis. Yeah, I don't think these events get the respect it is. Everybody's so focused on these grand slams right. and all this individual glory. It's kind of like I don't know. Everyone's like into the star thing. You know, he's my guy. That's my guy. You know, here you got a team competition. You got players kind of going against each other. You got the crazy equalizers like the top players not playing, and I, you know I just think it deserves more respect than it really gets out it there. Will I, if they I love change the format. <laughs> I don't mean to beat the old uh, drum there, but I mean. I think if you asked any casual tennis fan, they wouldn't even have known that this happened this weekend. It didn't make any major headlines unless you went to tennis.com you know, or an ESPN Tennis page. You're not even going to know this happened. It's well, true, but that, you can't fault the oh, I'm not faulting the players fault the for players that. Players no, for no. That or I'm just saying, to, you know, Pete's saying, well, it's, uh, it's great. You know, it's, it's, people should pay more attention to it, but I don't think they ever will unless something changes to promote it better. Well, I don't know if the format will change. Cause let's remember the Fed Cup was played in one play, you know, had that, you know, the, 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 the most common thing is bring them all together in one place, have a big two-week like a grand slam. They tried that in Germany. didn't work. Now, granted, the Fed Cup and Davis Cup are different. And I think it's an interesting discussion to have because I'm not against a format change in, in many ways. But, you know, I think, I, I think there's just a lack of feeling for, for tennis as a team sport, a genuine lack of feeling for tennis as a team sport. And I think people are really missing out a lot not having that yeah and that is a weird thing because there is a lack of feeling for the team part but then at the same time when you do watch the players when that do end up committing and playing they get they do get the spirit of the team and, the, and it usually see pretty amazing stuff yeah, I think it's just been hard to fit in team tennis with with the sport of tennis which is so individual we, world team tennis has never really gone about it in a in a way that people recognize as tennis and yeah Davis Cup and Fed Cup, they don't fit well in with the way the tour in general is is structured. You know, Kuznetsova wouldn't play because she had to do extra traveling. Who, whose fault is that? I don't know. But it, it's just a it's a hard 
it's a hard fit the way the tour is tours are structured now. That's that's reality. And then and the other thing is you get excited here. You watch this this thing. U.S. now has a rematch with 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 Italy in the final. When's the final being played? Uh, November. <laughs> so it's like now we have to wait. Yeah, there's months no, and months and months, and no one's going to remember. True. And by the time you get to the final, people are going to be like, "Who's in it? Oh right, U.S. won. They're playing Italy. What's going? It just all the momentum or any. Any good buzz that you get from this just goes right good down for, the toilet. Good for the Italians. They won it last year, and they're back again. They seem to really care about it. <laughs> yeah, they do. Oh, yeah. No, they love it, and the Italian people love it, which is interesting because, you know, it's you know it's a pretty chauvinistic society. Women's tennis doesn't do that well traditionally in Italy, but yeah. they love their Fed Cup team. Yeah, when I was at, um, in Rome in 2007, they had a, was a trophy in the back of the, back of the center court, and I, I assumed it was the Italian Open trophy, but it was the, it was the, the Fed Cup, Cup trophy, which That's they've won cool. for the first time in a long time. They were, On they were permanent that proud display, of it. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah no, had to exactly. put it out there. Hey, I'll tell you what the intriguing question is, guys, is what's going to happen with the Williams sisters in, if in the Italian final? I remember last year, Serena pulled out of the Italian final kind of at the last minute. The Williams sisters have gotten a little bit, little bit of stick, and I know, I know people in the trenches in the game are really a little, little bit disgruntled about the way they keep stringing along the Fed Cup team. Mary Jo's Fernandez, a captain, is, a com- is in a compromised position because she's trying to keep the door open to Williams's. Everyone is saying, well, listen, it's not fair to your team just to sort of sit around as if, you know, Venus and Serena are coming and save the day. Why don't you just focus on the players you do have? Now, you know, the question is now, are, are they going to go back and we're going to go through the same thing? Or are Mary, you know, Mary you know Jo and the USGA are going to say, well, yeah, gee, let's see if the Williams sisters will play. Maybe we can get them one or both of them. And, and, and then, you know, the same thing over and over. And, and then... Who knows? Maybe they'll play. I mean, it's a right. final. You know, they could I, win I prefer the they Cup don't. for the U.S. I mean, the first time. I, I think there's something to be said that, you know, Udan has been paying her dues here. Bethany Matek. I mean, I, I'd rather see them play at this point. I mean, I know that the U.S. would probably rather see the, the Williams scissors play. But w- would you rather see the Williams come in just to play in the final? I don't know. I, I, would, I think I'd rather see the Williams sisters play because that would make – I mean, that would make the event bigger. a bigger deal. And also, yeah. it would just be, they're the best players. Let's have them play. I, I can understand the other side where you go with you go with the people who have been been loyal. But I would I would think that the other players would, would recognize that if Venus and Serena did want to play, that they, they should play. Another way to look at it, let's say it's a Final Four, a basketball Final Four. You're in the semis. You're, you're a starting guard. You know, you, had, you have a great game in the semis. Your team wins. You go to the final. Your big star comes back. Would you rather start that final and lose? then win the national championship. No, you did a great job in the semis to get your team there. And then, you know, your, your big guns came and pushed you over the line at the end. I mean, I, I think yeah. it'd be great if the Williams sisters, but I'd love to see them play. I think Mary, I think Mary Jo has to, her main concern has to be, let's, to win. let's win the Fed Cup right. while, when we're in the Just final. Just win the then, the, then the Williams play if they want to play, I guess, yeah. is the way it will go. Well, and a nightmare scenario, of course, is the Williams sisters string them along and say, well, gee, I'd love right. to play, and, you know, it means a lot to me, and this and that, and then at the last minute they say, nah, I'm too hurt, or I don't feel like It's always it. a risk. Um, but they also, you know, they, to play this qualifies them for the Olympics, and not this tie in particular, but, you know, that there is something that for them on a personal level, to, want to play these Fed Cup ties. So. Well, maybe the only reason they'll play another Fed Cup tie at some point, it's which is what yeah. the suspicion is in some quarters, which is why a lot of people think it's unfair for them to seem to be available all the time, yet never to play. Right. And then two people probably not happy they played uh, Fed Cup this weekend. Kim Kleisters gets a foot injury and a Fed Cup playoff. She's out for six weeks. Her French Open looks uh, dicey mm-hmm. at the moment. That's the, yeah, and that's Justine, Justine also broke a finger in practice, but I, apparently she's going to – that'll be – she'll be ba- back relatively soon, but um, – yeah, for Kleisters, that that's that's tough. There goes the the clay season. If she even if she does play the French Open, she she no won't have have played all that much going in. And then you're right on 
and then Wimbledon starts a couple weeks later. I mean, Pete, there couldn't be more. I mean, this couldn't be. This is like the worst news women's tennis could get at this point. Is like, oh, by the way, your two new stars, the two people that have created all the media hype for you guys in the last six months. Oh, they're hurt. They've got broken finger and a, a bum foot. That's that's terrible news. Yeah, but come on, Belgium just won the World Cup playoffs because it means Belgium's going to be back in Fed Cup next year in the World Group. Look at the upside, guys. Well, there's the upside. <laughs> no, but seriously, wow. think of the team. Kleisters, Hennen, and Yanina Wickmeyer. That's that's one solid Fed Cup team. But no, I, I agree with you guys. I mean, you know, it's it's really kind of a downer, especially if both of them miss it. I don't know how Justine did her finger if she didn't practice or if she was trying to poke him in the eye or something. But uh, <laughs> well, it's her left yeah, hand, so it's her left hand, her left finger. So I I, I I I didn't see her play, obviously, but I guess she's able to somehow still hold the ball when she tosses it or whatever. Or she but will be able to. Will be able to. Yeah. So I mean, if they don't, if either of them miss the French, that's a Big, big bummer for sure. Um, then we got Rome coming up this week with the men. That's the big event. Looking at the draw, say some matches already going uh, going on. John Isner, you guys reported, just won his first round match. Is that uh, correct? Yeah, big clay court win for John Isner. And uh, Pete, you just talked to John. So um, you came back and uh, you chatted with him down. And where'd you go? I went down to see him at Saddlebrook in Tampa, at the Saddlebrook Resort in Tampa, where he trains. You know, that's that's it's kind of an off the radar place. It's funny, you know. We're, you know, I certainly know I'm you know very focused on a Nick Baltieri Academy a lot of time, but there are a lot of people training at Saddlebrook, and a lot of very good players have been through there. It's you know, it's no big secret, but they're also very low key. You know, they don't really position themselves as being in competition with Nick or or, or anything like that. But they've got a very very nice facility here, and you know they've produced a lot of good players including fish and and uh this James message Blake. has been sponsored by saddlebrook <laughs> yeah exactly yeah no, but what I is mean, what I'll is it, it what worked is out pretty well he was he was well you know i got nice green clay courts here he was right. playing there i saw him play uh, a practice match with dama john so i'm work out in the gym and stuff and you know the night what, what i what i really liked about isner's attitude on clay was you know guy thinks he can play on clay he's a little you know he's not saying he's, he's not just going there to do due diligence or to right. meet his atp obligations you know the guy feels he could do something on clay because and look when you got a serve like his, you're going to be winning some points. You got a good shot at holding serve on any surface, and the return he's going to have a little bit more time on a return, and that's really going to help Isner on clay. So. And the kicking up of the ball on clay kind of works to his I favor think, as well. I think at this point, it's hard for any player to just dis, to dismiss clay. It's you know it's very similar game to to what they play on grass and hard courts, and it's nice for that Isner and Quarry are playing all of these events. Just they're they're not they're not. Um, passing up this this part of the season no and like roddick's not playing obviously this week he pulled out of rome uh, he's uh in otherwise hawaii. Engaged. he's in hawaii with brooklyn <laughs> i mean would you go to play rome when you could be hanging out with brooklyn decker in hawaii i mean i was thinking about that like i mean roddick I, I think he he's the one where i don't think he's setting himself up to give him the best chance at the french and I, somehow i just think in the back of his mind he just writes off these two I months guess, I, may, I mean maybe he does I'm, he's always skipped monte carlo i'm surprised though because the way he plays could you know he could be successful his yeah. his very solid steady game could be very yeah. uh, successful on clay i think yeah. he's saving it up for the french myself i mean i think you he's think just he's not just playing because he doesn't feel like he needs a lot of matches especially if he's not gonna, if he's getting you know he goes over there if he loses second round let's say in italy to, uh, to a good clay court player then you're, yeah. and you're stuck then you got to practice and you're grinding and out on clay so i think he's really I think he's, you know, especially at this stage in his career and with the help of Stefanke, I think he's looking at how do I maximize my – because I, I think I think that French Open result last year is best French Open yeah. yet. I think that meant a lot to him. I think that meant a lot to him. And, you know, that match he lost, I forget who he lost to now, but it was I was out there actually lost sitting there watching it. Yeah. And, yeah, Monfils. It was a pumped up. Monfils. <laughs> that was that was he, Monfils was pumped up. It was it was a great atmosphere yeah, on Suzanne Lenglen, the number two stadium there, and it was almost – it was almost – pitch black when they yeah. finished in terms of the, the light conditions. You know, Roddick could have won that match very easily. Yeah, so, you know, he's, he's going to have his chances on clay. 
Well, and and um, actually, uh, two other Americans was talking to Sharko at the ATP, the stats guy. The Bryans are playing every tournament in Europe basically this summer, uh, this spring to break that record. They want to break the Woody's record of 61, so they're playing all these clay court events as well. So. Here's a good one for you, though. Guess, get, you know, Query and Isner have decided they're playing a full-time double schedule, and they're one of their goals, stated goals for the year, is to finish in the final eight of the doubles. The doubles. That, that's potentially a very good team. So wouldn't it be ironic if the Query and Isner team keeps bumping up against the Bryans <laughs> and, you know, makes it a it little tougher Bryans for the Bryans to, the to record, bag that record, you know, that could, could get interesting. That is the uh, 61, is the, just for people that don't know, 61 is the most uh, doubles titles in the open air held by the Woodies currently. Um, but Steve and, and Pete, looking at the draw of Rome, uh, the first thing a lot of fans are going to look at is, uh, you know, Nadal and Federer are in the same same half, so that first would be time, uh, first time since 2005 that they could play in the semis. They played the semis of the amazing. French Open. That is amazing, and and uh, it's a pretty stacked half because Nadal would potentially face Soderling and then face uh, I'm guessing Federer, who I think will come through that half, maybe beat well, Silich. But what the do you Nadal think? Soderling match is is got to be the one that everybody's looking to. Last year, Nadal beat him one and zero at this tournament, and then of course lost to him at the French Open. Uh, they've played Soderling has beaten him since then as well, so that would be a that would obviously be a marquee matchup. Burge yeah. is also in that section. He's been playing pretty well. Uh, Federer has a t- has a pretty tough second round. Bagdadis or Golbus? Ernest Golbus beat Bagdadis pretty easily today, and he he took Federer um, three sets earlier in the year. But and, and we'll see how Federer is. This is the first time he's played since since Key Biscayne, and he he sometimes he can he can take him a little bit to get into one of these tournaments. Yeah, Pete, I mean, what, are you, what are your thoughts? I mean, Federer could be a bit rusty. He did have issues down in Miami. Go, I mean, it's not going to be an easy first round. I think things will – I mean, he's a given guy. He's got Query in there. I think he wouldn't have problems with him. But uh, Silich is in there. I mean, I think if he can, like Steve said, if he can get a couple matches under his belt, he probably would be good to get through into the to the weekend. Well, it's funny. During the hardcourt season, I was tend to be somewhat dismissive of these results of Federer saying, well, you know, look, the guy, what do these tournaments really mean to him, this and that. But he's, all, he's you know, in, in a sense, uh, Steve will appreciate this, painted himself into a corner. <laughs> uh, you know, not that it's a dramatic, painter, yes. <laughs> uh, not, not that he's really up against it. But the fact of the matter is the guy has not played a lot of good matches consecutively since the Australian Open. Um, and, ba- and he's, he's now going out there on a surface where he's going to have to grind. He's going to have to be patient. He's going to have to be focused, you know, especially when he gets in against some of these better players. I think Federer's big job is going to be getting to Nadal. All right. You know, uh, fr- oh, from there sure. on, you know, all bets are off. But, I mean, I think to get to Nadal, he's, you know, looking back now on that hard court season, you start to see where maybe, you know, playing a couple of loose points or, or you know, um, you know, losing those matches after being up match point, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe they're not the best thing for him. I, mean, yeah. I kind of see Federer in the same position. Nadal very vocally and, and openly said he was in going into Monte Carlo, which was, look, I, I've, I've played well, but I need to win a tournament to get – I need to win a tournament – Get that confidence, get that feeling of winning back. I, I think what you're saying. I mean, I agree. I think I think Federer's got to have a good result somewhere down the road between now and Roland Garros. Well, yeah, well, consistency is is always going to be his one. It's not it's not a weakness, but it's that's what you need most on clay, and that's not his specialty. Where where it is Nadal's, and particularly wasn't his specialty, Federer's specialty this spring. The one thing that's different this year that may I don't know if it will we'll see whether it will help him is that he's won the French Open, so he comes in without that extra pressure he doesn't have to hear the questions about when are you going to win the french open maybe that'll either that'll loosen him up or it'll it'll take away some motivation but uh, and we also might not see the results of that at this tournament but i think it i think overall that's gonna that's gonna help him he seems to be coming into this part of the season a little more relaxed but he's also going to have to pay now for Nadal having been out last year from the French Open, you know, because now I think <coughs> he knows as much as everybody else. There we the go, asterisk. People are going to be saying, 
well, okay, Nadal's back now and he's fit. Let's see what fit. You know, it's kind of crazy. You don't want to, you'd hate to, you know, you don't want to put the guy under that kind of pressure. And, you know, he certainly earned, he earned his title last year. But the fact of the matter is it's going to be a little like, you know, let's, let's say he loses a French Open semi-year final to Nadal this year. And then it's going to be a little like everything. It only magnifies what he did last year. Only magnifies last year. So, you know, it's a tough position. So the last time they played on clay in Madrid, Federer beat, Federer beat Nadal, so. Yeah, there's there's maybe there's a little bit of doubt in, in Rafa's mind as well. It would be great if we could get a final between those two and and, and maybe Federer nicks it and, and wins. Well, what are the chances that Nadal? Does anybody know the chances of Nadal being number two by? Uh, he could, I think, by, but I'd have to come because you'd really want those guys on opposite sides. Well, yeah. I mean, we'll have to ask Greg Charco at the ATP for that because I'm not going to say and then have your some best Nadal, buddy have some Nadal fan come in and say, "How could you say that?" Um, the other half of, of Rome is. It, to me, it's pretty wide open because you've got Novak Djokovic down at the bottom, kind of a train wreck at the moment. You've got Verdasco in his half, as Steve was saying before we came on. I mean, he's he's gotten to two uh, finals, one one this week this weekend. He could be kind of burnt he's out. Had he's no he's tired. He's had no time off, even though he has been playing well. Right, but you kind of wonder is he is, is he going to just you know hit empty on the gas tank? And then the top half, you have Andy Murray, who's we know we've talked about him and his troubles he's had, and then Song at the top is the top seed. I mean. I look at that whole entire half, and I think that's wide open. Well, it's wide open, and particularly Juan Carlos Ferrero has already been blown out by a qualifier this morning. The Colombian kid who I'd never seen before just blew him off the court 0-3. So, you know, that's a, I don't know if that's a sign for this half of the draw, but, but it does seem like anybody could get to the semis. I mean, Djokovic made the semis of Monte Carlo and played poorly there, so you don't, you don't really know about him. And you definitely don't know about Andy Murray, who's, who seems to have bottomed out uh, recently is um is Ferrer in that was Ferrer in that uh half with uh Djokovic and Ferrer oh yeah who no, got Ferrer, no Ferrer Ferrer is in yeah. there yeah he's in there as well no is, Fer- did Ferrer lose today too or was that Ferrer Ferrero did I misread that Ferrer Ferrer salsa salsa <laughs> um yeah I mean Ferrer's Ferrer's decent I mean but he's oh, he, he can pose problems especially for Verdasco type player yeah. yeah they would meet I guess in the in the semis at that point if they got that far um yeah, I think Steve's right. I, I, I mean, Isner's won his first round match. I mean, maybe the, this could be something where Isner breaks through. I mean, still got to favor someone like Nadal, who's won this title four times. Um, I think Federer's reached a final, reached two finals. Djokovic won it two years ago. I mean, I'm not looking at Djokovic to win it, but I, well, I mean, any, I think anybody in this half has to feel like they could get to a, a Masters final, pretty without you know Federer and Nadal on the other side. It's this is this is a big opportunity. I wouldn't discount Sanga. You know, the guy can play on clay. He's you know he's he's got a lot of game. I think Sanga could could be in a position to do. He's one of those guys like you watch him and he, at times he's fun to watch. He can be a little hacky on his backhand. He just he's so up and down. You can never really get behind him for any length of time because just when you think he's got it together and he's going to start putting some real good results, he either gets hurt or he just has a bad match and he just. He's yeah, you never know from one, one set to the next. In a match where he's playing some really spectacular tennis, you 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 turn it back on a couple hours later and you found out he lost. And you, yeah. you have no, you really yeah, don't know when why. He, when he looks good, he looks great. Yeah. He looks like the yeah, greatest ever. Always great you know? to and watch. <laughs> he's fun to watch. Yeah. There's no doubt. And and he's definitely one of the funnest. It would great, yeah, great if he got to the final. But um, we'll have to see. We'll come back later this week, and we'll uh, probably on Thursday or Friday we'll take some mail questions. So send in uh, all your questions to podcast at tennis.com. We will answer the top. Uh, emails that you guys send in and as well we will preview the finals and semifinals or what we think will happen over the weekend um, I guess that'll be it guys so we'll uh, get back here with Pete Bodo and Steve Tigner I'm James Martin so join us again later this week and until then have a good one you've been enjoying tennis.com's weekly podcast thanks for listening 
For all the latest news and events, head over to tennis.com.